What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. It is Friday, October 28th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Matt, it's going pretty well, dude. Having a pretty good week over here. Really stoked that it's Friday. Yep. It's uh, probably my second favorite day of the week every week. I'm a big Saturday boy, but <laughs> Friday's always <laughs> definitely nice. <laughs> Yeah, Friday's great. Um, Saturday, it's a big night because you got Halloween yeah. on Monday. So this is a big Saturday. This is the, it, this is probably one of the biggest Saturdays of the entire year. This is the Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Saturday. I'm a big Halloween guy personally. I'm excited for this weekend. Love the holiday. I think it's so fun to like dress up in something funny or something cool. I've just always loved the creative side of, of Halloween. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a great holiday. And like I thought that I like once I was done trick-or-treating like I was a kid and I was like okay this is probably my last year trick-or-treating I was like oh I'm gonna hate this holiday like it's not gonna be fun it that hasn't happened yeah it's still been a great time so I'm, I'm pleased pleased to know that Halloween is still going strong and thriving yeah yeah and one of my favorite traditions every year is laughing at um there's a meme that gets posted every year on a, a subreddit called I'm 14 and this is deep. <laughs> and it's like people just roast like whatever high schooler posts the Halloween's the only day of the year where you get to show your true self and wear a mask every other day of the year. <laughs> so corny. Uh, <that's> incredible. <laughs> so I wear a mask every day when I go to school. <laughs> the real mask is whatever we wear when we're happy in class. Like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. I can't wait to see it. Every year I see it and just chuckle to myself. So I'm, I'm ready to view that. I'm ready to give it an upvote. And I hope you are ready to get into today's episode of TPT. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is from CBS News, and it's titled, Warming Waters Cited as Key Culprit in Mass Die-Off of Alaska Snow Crabs. This is one of those stories that, like, it's tough to do a weekly current events show about. Because I had a, a few people reach out on Twitter and Instagram and send this article to us. And, you know, unfortunately, all of the articles that I looked at, they basically just said 84% of Alaska's snow crabs were dying between 2018 and this year. And that figure is according to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. But all of them were saying scientists are speculating scientists are looking into why so we figured we would wait until there were some answers as to what was happening and why before we covered it on this show so the bering sea floor is now home to 1.9 billion alaskan snow crabs which sounds like a lot until you realize that it's down from 11.7 billion just four years earlier 
Alaska's Department of Fish and Game announced that the Bering Sea snow crab season will remain closed for 2022 and 2023 in an effort to conserve and rebuild the population. This is the first time that snow crab season has ever been closed. Wow. Alaska's fisheries produce 60% of seafood in the United States. So this is a major development. The Alaska Fisheries Science Center attributes the decline in snow crab numbers to heat waves in 2018 and 2019. Aaron Fadua of the of that organization says that the cold water habitat that they need was virtually absent, which suggests that temperature is really the key culprit in this population decline. According to NOAA, Alaska is the fastest warming state in the country and is losing billions of tons of sea ice each year. So the warming seas are really harmful for animals like crabs that rely on that cold water. Part of the reason why warm water is an issue for these crabs is that bitter crab disease increases as temperatures rise. Their metabolisms need to use more energy to stay alive in warmer weather. And the warmer weather means that predators can successfully hunt the crabs more easily. Aaron Fadua added that more research is underway to test these hypotheses, but Every single one is pointing towards climate change. Yeah, and some good news is that this year's survey of the Bering Sea saw significant increases in young crabs compared to last year. But it will take four or five years before the males among them grow to fishable size. Overfishing is not thought to be a factor in the population decline because only adult males are kept, so the breeding population can actually continue to reproduce. After 2018 and 2019, temperatures in the water have begun to return to normal, so the hope is that by canceling the fishing season and letting the crabs do their thing, the population should increase again. One group of people I'm I'm really feeling for here is fishers in the area. You know, we spoke about how 60% of the country's seafood comes from Alaska. So for these people, you got to think that Snow crabs are a big portion of where they get their income, where they make their livelihood. So for them, I know one of the things that was brought up is like, hopefully that since snow crab season is canceled for the next year and and change, hopefully there's some sort of stipend that's given to fishers for, for not taking the rest of the male crabs out. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I mean, this is this is a really, really tough issue. And when you're talking about 60% of the seafood, like you just said, that is huge. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely massive. You're talking about more than half of the seafood coming from Alaska. You're going to see it when you go to the, when you see, uh, sorry, when you go to the grocery store. Um, and especially if you don't live on one of the two coasts. Yeah. And to be fair, right, this isn't impacting every species yet in Alaska. So for right now, it seems like it's just the snow, the snow crabs that are really, really going to, you know, we're, we're not going to see them. I was going to say that their, their price is going to go up. But frankly, we're probably not going to see snow crabs in many grocery stores for a while, especially those that come from Alaska. But the other fish presumably live in Alaska because they like that climate. You know, fish will swim to a water that suits them. Right. In this case, the water that suits them, it's getting warmer. Alaska is the fastest warming state in the U.S., like. This is going to become a more prevalent issue moving forward as these sea temperatures can continue to rise. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah, this is it, it could be a complete domino effect. We have no idea yet. But, you know, warming waters 
is obviously not a good thing for for Alaska. So yeah, hopefully we don't see the effects of this too soon. All right, our next story is by Elise Kotiak of CTV News, who writes, BC drought by the numbers. Vancouver, Victoria saw less than 10% of average rainfall since July. On Friday of last week, it rained in southern British Columbia, Canada, a region that desperately needed the rainfall after a summer with record low levels of precipitation. Vancouver usually sees about 198 millimeters or 7.8 inches of rainfall between July 21st and October 21st. But this year they had just 16 millimeters or 0.6 inches. Victoria, another major city, only had two millimeters or 0.08 inches when it normally gets 132 millimeters, 5.2 inches of rainfall. So we're talking about an incredibly dry summer, which obviously is going to impact your people, your animal, your vegetations, your rivers. Like this, this wasn't just a slightly dry summer. We're talking about so much drier than we can really even fathom unless you're living there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 10 regions in British Columbia remained in drought level five last week, which is the highest rating that British Columbia gives for drought conditions. Water levels in reservoirs fell to critically low levels, and many industries were told to halt their use of potable water, including swimming pools, breweries, non-medical cannabis producers, and those that transport and install concrete, cement, and gravel. An additional six areas were in drought level four, meaning that adverse impacts of drought are likely and another 13 were under level four with possible adverse impacts. Because of how dry it was in British Columbia this summer, the province's wildfire season extended late into the fall and created smoky conditions and air quality advisories throughout the province. On Friday, October 21st, 202 wildfires were active in the province. 202 wildfires in Canada in late October. It's scary, man. And that also includes 44 fires that sparked just last week. Yeah, so it's not even like these are fires that have been burning for a while. I mean, granted, if 44 are new, then that means, what, 158 yeah. were, were not new. But still, I mean, we're talking about fires that are still starting to spark in mid-October, late October in Canada, this this reminds me of a story we covered. I think it was last year where we were talking about wildfire increases in Siberia. Yeah, which like, dude, we're talking about a, a region there which was always used to like exile people to because it's cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so scary. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Like, what we thought of as historically cold areas. And then to have them have wildfires in October is unheard of. Like we always think of mm-hmm. um, September, October as like um, hurricane season. And I know it's not, you know, it's not like, not like Vancouver's getting hurricanes as, as much as like Florida is and all that stuff. But still you would expect that they would get way more rain than just two millimeters. Like that is unbelievably low. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. It's just crazy to think about like... For so long, the way that people kind of ignored or tried to downplay climate change was by saying, 
you know, that's going to impact my grandkids. That sucks. That's going to impact my great grandkids. No, it's impacting you right now. It's impacting the world right now. It's been impacting the world for years now. And the time to start acting and, and treating this like an absolute crisis that it is was over a decade ago. And it seems like we just keep moving the goalposts. Right. You know, something that came out yesterday at this point. Uh, so we're going to cover it on next week's show just so we have some time to actually review it was this article saying that like we're missing major milestones that we need to hit in order to mitigate climate change successfully. So this is the reality right now. Like this is going to keep happening. This is going to keep getting worse until world leaders on the global stage get their shit together. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Frustrating. All right, let's get into our next one here, and it is from CTV News as well. It's titled, 2% of the world's rarest zebras wiped out in Kenya's relentless drought by Nimi Princewell. Yeah, another drought-related story, uh, actually one from earlier this month that I just stumbled upon earlier this week. So a two-year-long drought in Kenya has put increased stress on Kenya's wildlife, resulting in increased elephant deaths and 2% of the Grevy zebra, or Grevy's zebra, dying. As Nick mentioned, this is the rarest species of zebra in the world. The Grevy Zebra Trust's founder and executive director, Belinda Lowe Mackey, said that the mortality rate will continue to increase if rain does not fall on the region soon. It puts them at a serious risk of starvation, with a lot of the vegetation they rely on not growing enough. Even drought-resistant animals like camels are dying due to the drought in Kenya. Kenya is on the brink of its fifth failed rainy season and drier-than-average conditions for the rest of this year, according to the article. Wildlife conservationists are worried that other endangered species will begin to die off as well if the drought conditions continue to get worse. Another issue related to drought is that it is also causing wild animals to walk onto grazing reserves for livestock. And then people have begun poaching them to avoid them contacting the livestock there. So it's just a, it's just a terrible result of, of the droughts. Yeah, it's a tough situation, right? Like you're you're a farmer. You want to keep your livestock healthy. That way you can continue to get meat and cheese and eggs, you know, whatever it is that they're producing for you. And all of a sudden you have other animals coming on, taking their resources, fighting them. Could be a predator that's eating them. So it's it's resulting in poaching. And like yep. most of the time I'm going to fault poachers for illegally hunting. But in this case, it's like, almost a protection thing of, of your animals. So it's, it's a brutal situation. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're, we always talk about on the show how you always say this specifically, but like nothing happens in a vacuum and you can talk mm -hmm. about how, you know, a, um, animal conservation is extremely important. And then you can on a separate note, talk about how providing food for, um, our countries is extremely important. But when the two come together in this way, it's like, wow. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and you know, this is something that's tough because this is the worst drought that Kenya has faced in roughly 40 years. It's forcing over 4 million people into food insecurity and over 3 million people to be short on drinking water. And if this is the worst drought that Kenya has faced in 40 years, like, Chances are, with climate change getting worse, this isn't going to be the worst drought they face over the next 40 years. So, 
you know, like that's the thing that's tough about climate change is seeing these projections and seeing that like whatever we look at and say, damn, this is the worst. It's the worst so far. Yeah. And it's going to get worse before it starts to get better because of how long emissions hang out in the atmosphere after we stop emitting them. What you just said reminded me of the Bart. Sorry, I don't want to make light of what you just said. I, I no, I was I was just thinking the same exact thing after I said the Homer Simpson one. Yes, it's the yeah. meme of Homer Simpson talking to Bart Simpson. He's like, "This is the worst day of my life," and then he's like, "Worst day of your life so far." Yeah, it's like, it's it's true. It's true, man. <laughs> but to get this one back to uh, the original story we we're talking about with the Grevy zebra. The Grevy's Trust is trying to help the zebra survive by providing supplementary feed like hay every single week. It's hard for similar groups to provide help to elephants right now because they would need to create basically an artificial watering hole. And to do that, it leads to more desertification to the natural watering holes by taking water away from areas that normally get it or need it right now. So it's it's another one of those situations where it's like, how do you solve a problem without creating a problem that's basically going to be worse than the first one. Yeah. You know, all, all power to all of the conservationists who are working to, to fix this right now. Yeah. I I completely agree. All the power to them. It's, it's gotta be extremely grueling and I'm sure not fulfilling when, when you have things that are just not going right and you, you can't actually do much to, to help a species and, and basically just, hope for adaptation or hope for, you know, other elements to change that make their, their situation easier or better. So, yeah. Yeah. And hope for rainfall in the short term, I guess is the, is the, the key thing here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We are going to take a break on that very somber note. Uh, when we get back, we got two more quick hits for you and they are much happier than the first few. Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, a city in China is planning an offshore wind farm so big that it could power all of Norway by Electrex Michelle Lewis. Super cool news for all those renewable energy fans out there. The Chinese city of Chaozhou in the Guangdong province is planning to build an offshore wind farm that will, like Nick said, provide more energy than all of Norway's power plants combined. 
the city will begin working on the 43.3 gigawatt offshore wind farm before 2025 off of the city's coast on the Taiwan Strait for an undisclosed cost. One gigawatt powers roughly 750,000 homes. So this should power roughly 32,475,000 homes. According to a Bloomberg article, this area's topography is unique and has strong enough wind to run the turbines for 3,800 to 4,300 hours per year. That means it'll be producing wind energy between 43 and 49% of the time, which is a very high utilization rate. And I'm really happy to see them tapping into that because we've talked about this before, I think, maybe not, but like for some regions, it doesn't make sense to do certain types of renewable energy. You know, in in the southwestern U.S. and like Arizona, solar at the utility scale works unbelievably. Right. Up where we live in the northeast, everything is very forested. There's very dense clusters of homes like you don't have a big enough field to to really do a ton of utility scale solar. But what we have that they don't really have in uh, Arizona is the Atlantic coast. So off of the coast of you know New York, down the mid-Atlantic, up towards Rhode Island and off, off of Cape Cod even, offshore wind power works great. So in this case, we're talking about a city and you know, a country as a whole, really, that's relying on the natural topography to say, yeah, this is what we're going to build here to create a ton of renewable energy capacity. What was it? 32 million homes could be powered by this. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. And this also comes after China built more wind capacity in 2021 than the rest of the world combined over the previous five years. In December 2021 alone, China added as much capacity as the International Energy Agency predicted that it would add for the entire year. So China is still the world's leader in annual emissions as of right now. And I say annual because if we look at historical, it's still the U.S., it's still the European Union, it's still the U.K. You know, there's countries that have been emitting a lot more since the 1900s, but Based on 2020, 2021, 2022, China is still the number one emitter today. So this, I think, is a really, really welcome push for a country that really needs to decarbonize. The issue is that the country's goal is to reach net zero by 2060, not 2050, like most countries are aiming for. So we've seen China finally start ramping up their renewable energy sources and, and producing a, a bunch um, of wind and solar power in order, in order to outproduce their emissions. Is there something you could speak to on that, Matt? Yeah, I, I guess the issue is like they, rather than decarbonizing and rather than, look, I was going to say rather than trying to hit 2050, like a lot of countries, I mean, l- let's, let's call it like it is. Like we should be trying to strive to do better than 2050 if we really want a legitimate shot at like reaching 1.5 degrees of global warming instead of two. Um, but 2050 is like what people are settling on. It's, it's stupid, but that's what we're settling on. So for a country to say like, I know everyone's doing 2050, but we need to rapidly industrialize still, we're going to do 2060. What they are trying to do is instead of decarbonization sooner, they're ramping up their own emissions and just kind of trying to, like you said, outpace Right. The the rate of emissions that they're creating. So, you, you know, like eventually that curve of renewable energy versus 
fossil fuel energy, well, they'll have more renewable than fossil fuel, but they're still going to have fossil fuel for way longer than most other countries. That's the part that's kind of difficult because, like we said, they're, they're the number one emitter right now in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have the number one emitter continuing to put out massive amounts of emissions, it's not going to do the, the, the global nation as a whole any good. So, yeah. And it's not even like, it's just them, you know, like the, all, all of us are still increasing our emissions. Like all, all of the, the countries for the most part are, are still ramping up in an effort to say that, Hey, by 2030, we're going to be here. So 2023 numbers don't really matter. So if we're up a little bit next year, as long as we get to 2030 goals, like that's what, what counts. No, like we need to be doing this now. We need to be setting concrete goals and reaching them along the way. Right. That's not happening everywhere. So look, if, if I sound frustrated, it's because I am. And I'm hoping that at COP27 in Egypt next month, Maybe some of these frustrations are uh, are sorted out, and we have more of a concrete plan. But yeah, you know, this is something that's been eating at us for like a year since COP twenty six, and we're finally at the point where it's not COP twenty sevens in November. It's like COP twenty sevens next month. I'm I'm anxious and I'm ready to hear what the plan is because I don't want to have another year like last year where the plan is we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah, that was extremely frustrating last year. And we're about a week away, just so everyone knows, from, from COP27. I think it starts on, is it November 1st? We'll do some live fact-checking. Yeah, okay, so it's actually Sunday, November 6th. That's my bad. Oh. One day off. So, yeah, it's about a week from Sunday. Same day I'm running the marathon. Wow, how about that? <laughs> Gearing up. <laughs> All right, let's move into our last quick hit of the week. And it is from The Guardian, where Patrick Greenfield writes, Lost rainforest could be revived across 20% of Great Britain. Okay, unlike the last story where before the break we were like, <laughs> we promised they're happier stories, and then I went on a tirade about, <laughs> about fossil fuel production. This one's actually just good news, so let's get into it. <laughs> Environmental campaigners are calling for protection and tree planting plans to help restore the country's temperate rainforests. A study revealed that one-fifth of Great Britain could be restored to its native ecosystem, which is significant because it covers about 1% of the land there today. Temperate rainforests thrive in wet, mild conditions, which can be found in most of the west coasts of Britain and Ireland. Thousands of years of human development has wiped out most of the temperate rainforests, but fragments of this ecosystem in England, Wales, and Scotland can be found today. With proper conservation and tree plantings, more than half of Wales, almost all of Western Scotland, and several parts of England have suitable climates for temperate rainforests to thrive today. All right, the name of the guy that we're about to bring up is just like the most perfect forest conservation I've ever heard. <laughs> guy Shrubsole. I love it. The soul of the shrubs. Um, so Guy Shrubsole of the Lost Rainforest of Britain campaign says it won't even take much for the rainforest to regenerate. And if they were allowed to do it naturally with the help of, quote, ecosystem engineers like Jays, then the forest could grow on their own. Shrubsole also notes that he doesn't think we could cover all 
of the 20% that could support a temperate rainforest, but allowing them to expand in size would still be beneficial. A recent YouGov poll found that 93% of the British public supports protecting the country's rainforest, and 85% support expanding the rainforest. 80% of people also believe that public funding should go towards restoration. So people in this poll were pretty on board with protecting the rainforest, expanding its current footprint, and most importantly, letting taxes fund it. 73% of England's remaining temperate rainforests are not designated as sites of special scientific interest. And I think that would be one of the first steps in getting the right protections in place. Temperate rainforests are incredibly important for biodiversity, which as we know, has a major impact on both the local ecosystem and the local economy. These rainforests are pretty rare to begin with and are mostly found in Chile's Patagonia region, Alaska, and Japan. Several groups wrote to Britain's Environment Secretary Janil Jayawardena to urge him to increase protections. Several NGOs cited the country's plan to protect 30% of the country when suggesting that all of England's rainforests be put under protection. According to this article, their letter also calls on the government to adopt a specific rainforest strategy to protect England's ancient woodlands while working with landowners and farmers to help naturally regenerate areas by following the latest science. The government has previously said that much of the country's temperate rainforest is protected and that it is committed to its safekeeping. That one's tough because we said that the temperate rainforest is 1% of the land and could expand up to 20%. So like, are you really doing as much as you can be if you're protecting 1% of the land, even if it's most of this one biome? Probably not. They could probably do more. And I hope that those NGOs inspire them to do more with this letter that was written to uh, Janil Jaya Yeah, and it is pretty cool that it, it can regenerate on its own. Like, it, it doesn't really need the help of, of um, engineers or, or really anyone in order to um, be restored. But the fact that the people of, of um, sorry, the people of Britain actually want to put money towards it is fantastic. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, this is one of the things that we talk about when we say biodiversity is good for the economy. If temperate rainforests protect biodiversity and biodiversity is going to increase probably the number of jays that are living in that forest and those jays can help spread the forest, like, those birds are working overtime. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, to have that done just by protecting the forest, why not? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. So just one closing note, some of the main drivers for the rainforest decreasing in size have been invasive species moving in, pollution, and grazing of livestock leading to deforestation. And on that note, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we'll be back to talk about Halloween. Yes, so on Monday, we'll have a fun episode about candy, costumes, and more. So definitely check it out. Yeah, if you're ever curious about the sustainability of Halloween, we're going to dive right into it. But until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and a review wherever you're listening right now. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.